Hello everybody, welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 790, recording today on the 21st of February 2024. This is the Music Technology Podcast, we talk about all things to do with music, software, synthesizers, hardware, DJing I suppose, performance, just live streaming, live production, plugins, drum machines, the whole kind of ecosystem that surrounds the world of creating, performing and distributing electronic music uh, or music of any kind. So I want to say thank you very much to our friends in the chat room. Uh, nice to see uh, some familiar faces. So we've got Tracker Jack there. We've got John Van Eaton. We've got uh, Red Walks, Lady Aptitude, Buzz. Uh, oh, well, Buzz is our, uh, our bot that cross posts between the Facebook live stream and the Twitch stream and the, uh, the other streams. And I want to say thanks to Wagyu, of course, for uh, moderating as he does so effectively for many of us who stream live. It's very kind of him to give up his time. We must all club together and buy him a holiday of some kind, even if it's just a weekend away in Bognor Regis or the Swiss equivalent, uh, uh, whatever that may be. Anyway, I should, while I've got you, I should just also say thanks very much to our sponsors for the show. Uh, we will be, um, hearing messages from there a little later, Native Instruments and Isotope, much appreciated. Um, also, uh, there was something else I had to... Oh, yes, of course, coming up. Uh, let me just put this in. We, we do have... Uh, let me press this, if this is going to work. We do have our uh, competition. You could win uh, with Teenage Engineer. We were very kindly given us a pocket, uh, pocket opera. Well, it's not pocket, it's a whatever it is, a bigger one. A KO2, Knockout 2, uh, that's for, up for grabs. If you go to bit.ly slash sonic dash... Sonic slash... Sonic Dash, anyway, the link's in the show notes. I can't I can't pronounce. Is it a hyphen? Is it a dash? Is it a underscore? It's a dash, I suppose. Anyway, we thank them for uh, uh, supporting us with uh, with a prize there, and it's uh, proven very popular, so definitely worth checking out. And also, don't forget, we've got our live EMOM, uh, which is uh, next week. Uh, no, March the 1st. That's the wrong link, but it's uh, it's bit.ly slash Sonic, uh, Sonic EMOM 4, uh, and that's where you can get tickets. There will be a live stream as well we've had uh, lots of acts confirmed that's all coming together we've got an exciting new streaming case and setup which i've been working on i might post something on patreon for that just because uh, people tend to be interested in those things putting raspberry pies to good use uh and anyway let's get on to our guests uh we've got some um well we've got a couple we haven't seen for a little while or somebody we've never seen certainly not on sonic talk so let's start with uh, look who it is it's richard nickel from pittsburgh modular how are you richard I'm well. Thanks for having me on. This is it's. I'm looking forward to this. Excellent. Well, it's lovely to have you. Of course, uh, Richard, as we know, is uh, one of the well, the arch designer of. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Pittsburgh Modular stuff. It's just got a great sound to it, and I still use the uh, desktop SV1 a lot in my sort of occasional jams because those oscillators just sound so great. So uh, are you are you manning the controls of the evil laboratory and coming up with masterminding new stuff? I can see you've got a, a, a vault. Uh, is that what's that called? Um, it's, I've forgotten what the vault vault system is there behind there. Is that 3900 there? This is the uh, voltage research laboratory behind me here. That's right. That's the Kickstarter That's right. we did a few years ago. And then uh, behind right. that, I so, have uh, my, uh, my Akai MPC. MP yeah, nice. So, are you? Uh, how, how's it going? Are you? Uh, presumably, you're you're just kind of squirreling away and beavering away, or whatever the uh, American equivalent is, <laughs> on new stuff, right? Which presumably you can't tell us about. But hey, no, it, 
our heads are always sort of heads down working on new stuff. That's that's a given. Um, we just put out a new oscillator. Uh, we're doing, we don't really do your rack modules too much anymore, but we did do a, a limited uh, run of a new oscillator that we just put up last week. I did a live stream about it. And it has some interesting technology in it that's part of the upcoming Voltage Lab 2 that'll be here at some point in the future. Uh, but it's it's really interesting because we've we've created a way to shape square waves by adding an additional step. So the pulse width modulation, you can sort of modulate how it sounds and it can get very, very interesting. Something that you uh, may be interested yeah, well, in as a you're fan talk, of uh, you're pulse talking width modulation. My language. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if only this, if, it, if that was the only thing that you could say coming on the stream, you've already... <laughs> you know, you've earned the price of entry. Uh, but it's great to have a, 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 also a manufacturer's perspective finally on the show. Yeah, We've had software developers. Well, I don't think we've had a manufacturer on before. So uh, excellent to have you. Thank you very much for joining us. And we've also got Steve Hillier. Steve Hillier, stevehillier.net. Um, man about town, DJ around Europe, synthesis, songwriter, lecturer, uh, musician, producer, all of those things. Have you been doing all of the above over recent months? We haven't seen you for, gosh, um, it's been six months yeah. at least, I would have thought. Uh, yeah, it, it, as usual, uh, every time I come on, I think, no, I'm going to got to get on more. I always enjoy it, I, at least when I feel like I've got something to contribute. But it's been... Uh, yeah, madly busy. I've been all, all over the place in uh, Denmark and uh, um, going off to France in a couple of weeks. And, and, and mainly uh, so far this year, it's been uh, DJing for me, which is, I, I suppose, really my, my first passion. Um, but the music stuff is kicking in again. I've been doing some uh, regular releases uh, from the Dubstar archive, which is my old act mm. from the 90s. Uh, there's a whole bunch of tunes that were never released. When, when I say bunch, I'm talking the best part of around a hundred. Um, right. And so, rather than just having them, yeah, I know it's kind of crazy, really. Some of them are good, and um, I, rather than <laughs> having them sit on my hard drive for twenty years yeah. or ten years, I just decided, you know, to put in, put them out there. So, if anyone's interested, I just recommend uh, searching on YouTube for now for the Dubstar Archive, and you can hear. Um, well, just songs that otherwise you wouldn't have heard, I suppose, yeah. Excellent. I'm well glad to have it. That, that sounds that sounds great. I will check those out. And lovely to have you back again. And it looks, uh, your your synth collection is looking very uh, mighty fine and properly dusted as well, as well as having actual daylight coming in. It's quite, uh, yeah. you can tell we're entering spring, so nice to see it. Oh, it, um, it, it, it is lovely. Uh, yep, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, I should point, there is a, a, a little bit of a crackling sound on um, Steve's mic. We have tried to get to the bottom of it, but I don't know that we will. So you'll just have to bear with us there. But aside from that, it's I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, but I yeah, can nice, change, nice to have you. Thanks, Nick. And I can change setup if it comes to it. So let me know. Okay, all right. We're still going, but see how you get on. And we have uh, Paulie Bow, a magical synth adventure. Is there in? Uh, it, well, I, I'm guessing you're uh, in in new parenthood. Two two small children uh, later. <laughs> uh, so and actually, you've been uh, posting music and videos, all sorts of stuff. What have you been up to, Paulie? One um, one kid has uh, gone away for the week. Oh, the Ooh. eldest, the toddler. So, yeah, um, I mean, now I feel it's almost like I've got no kids because this new little 
baby girl is actually really quite easy to to take care of compared to him because he's such a for ball now. of energy for now. so yeah for now yeah yeah of course you know the they're, they're both going to be 18 one day and then there's a whole new set of worries but anyhow, but anyhow no i'm good thanks um i've just been trying to creativity is a really essential part of my well-being so i've essentially just tried to to keep that going you know even if it is just an hour a day to do something look for instance i was uh, editing uh, an upcoming review of the live and mega synthesis today and that's going mm. really well and uh, and i'm Excellent. putting you know some old video it. game shots and stuff it's going to be really good uh, but other than that I just wanted to mention, I just wanted to play What Obsolete Crap Has Poorly Acquired This Week, if that's okay with you. <laughs> okay. Just for a yeah, second. So let's have a look. I should have a jingle for this, this shouldn't I? I can't, but I don't. Yeah, yeah. This it, Maybe it could be like Stepto and Son because it's all junk. Um, but anyway, the um, this is something that made Gaz very happy. Essentially. Music let's 500. see if I can get it. Music 500. Um, it's an add-on for the BBC microcomputer from the 80s. And oh, essentially wow. what it is, it's like, uh, it's got 16 digital oscillators. I thought it'd be relevant to our discussion of digital oscillators if we do that later. And um, you can uh, put wavetables into them, FM modulate them, ring modulate them, and do all sorts of fun stuff. The only problem is, for most people, you have to code it in a bizarre old computer language but i'm really up for <laughs> that no challenge <laughs> i want yeah i want to i want that glowing screen and just code in at the command line to see what i can come up with so yeah that's that's what i've got this week and uh some friends are sorting me out with some other bits and stuff for it so there we go more obsolete junk in the pile of poorly. wow that sounds interesting that's interesting, though, because um, there, there is a thing, isn't there, about live coding? I'm sure when I've been to, I was at Bristronica, yes. and they do it at Superbooth. They have workshops where, I, yes, it, it's, definitely. I'm not sure whether it's like um, C sound, but a lot of it's done with visual as well, sort of describing. Yes, so it's a, it's definitely a thing, isn't it? Yeah, my friend is really, really quite big in that circle, and his name's Antonio Roberts. And he started by live coding visuals. He used to do the visuals for my band, man. They were amazing, you know, really cool glitchy stuff. And then kind of MTV got wind of, not me, him, and got him to do some of their like adverts, you know, and iDents. And, and he does a lot of uh, live coding. And he showed me how to do it. And essentially, it doesn't do it for you. You have to put in the notes and put a loop of notes in. And then you can kind of change parameters of the clock divisions and things like that. So once you get a little script going, you can kind of, you know, change one line and, and make it continue on. So it's quite abstract. Uh, it was quite interesting. Steve, Steve, it is. You, were, you had a question. Yeah, I was just going to ask Paulie um, what live coding actually entail but i think i think you've just done that so so i sure. I'm sort of clearer in my mind I, I just had this vision of writing sort of raw computer code and having visual <laughs> stuff coming out is is that is that yeah, it or is, that, oh my, yeah basically essentially That's basically yeah. there's this yeah. there's a scripting language i can't remember what it's called again i mean my friend had it there in front of me but yeah you can um you can set out you know uh little clusters of code and name them stuff 
so that you can bring them back in, you know? Uh, because、mm. some people are more, some people and some people I know are very code minded. You know,、um, like me with kind of Harmony, for instance, I look at it and I'm like, Rain Man kind of stuff. They're like that with scripting and code. So to make music like that for them makes far more sense to them than, you know, playing a keyboard. So、mm-hmm. it's interesting and you get different results, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah. I, can't even ha- I can't even handle, I don't really like even step, step sequencing. I find that really frustrating.、Uh, sure. Richard, do you have to code any sort of, are you, do you involve, I mean, most of your stuff is analog, but there are digital potent, potent, you know, parts, I'd imagine. Do you have to code that stuff? Is that something you kind of get your hands in on, or are you,、oh, sure. you leave it to others? Well, for years and years, I've been the one coding you know, the MIDI to CV converters and any sequencers like the touch controller and the voltage lab behind me.、Um, I coded all that stuff.、Uh, I now have someone that's much smarter and much better at that than I was、um, working on it. But yeah, even in the world of analog, you, you need to interact with digital all the time. So yeah,、mm. it's, it's, it's part of it.、Mm. How,、uh, yeah, interesting. how interesting I find that. Is, is another story, but it is an essential <laughs> part of <laughs>、uh, making instruments. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, no, interesting. Okay,、um, well, let's get on to some,、um, some topics then.、Um, what have I got first? Oh, yeah,、uh, everybody,、uh, surely everybody loves a guitar, right? This is the discrete、uh, guitar, I've called it. It's the, the BLL Instruments Elyra. And there are some aspects to it that actually look pretty cool. I like the sort of individual strings and the strumming area and the kind of the keys. It's got a built in synth. It's a digital synth. I, I think it's made for BLL by Kodamo, who、uh, I would say perhaps don't have the most. Open UI approach when it comes to designing it, but it's very stylish. But it sort of looks a little bit like he's playing a QWERTY keyboard stra- strapped on. And I'm just wondering I mean, you know, is this, a, this, is this finally an acceptable form of keytar? Because keytars are very divisive, aren't they? Some people love them, some people love really, you know, and, and quite often you'll have a live band who might have a moment where they'll just strap one on and come up and Put the foot on the monitor and do it. I know Golfrap used them quite a lot, and it's, it's part of the stage show. I think it's going to be about $1,099 US dollars.、Um, 16 voices, 16 layers. It looks like it's got quite similar um, uh, um, synth structure to the Kadamo mask, although I don't think it uses bit masking. So it may well be that there's There's better demos to come, but it's, I think it's pre order、uh, and it may be something that you know, is acceptable because you can always put it on the, on the table as well. I don't know. How,、uh, how do you feel about keytars, Rich? Have you,、uh, have, you, have you ever considered making one? I, we haven't considered making one, but I am absolutely pro keytar. I think anything、okay. that gives you a way to express yourself is, is fantastic. And this thing I thought was really interesting.、Um, I like that. There's some aspects of it that I think are really nice, like the, the touchpads have raised up a bit so you can feel them as you're playing them. One thing that worries me a little bit is it doesn't seem to have a whole lot of expression. And I think for an alternative style of controller, you definitely need as much expression built into it as possible. I saw it has sort of、uh, two programmable sliders on there that I, I suspect you could do like、uh, filter cutoff or something along those lines. But in the videos that I watched,、uh, anytime they would change that stuff, they would have to go in and do it through the menu system.、Mm. 
Um, and it says it's capacitive touch, which again is is really fun. And it looks like it's a lot of fun to play, but it doesn't seem that they're using uh, capacitive touch in a way that is more than just on and off. Um, so I think this is really interesting and I suspect it's just going to get more interesting and better over time because it looks like, you know, I would definitely strap that on and jam out with it. Oh, the, the, the gags are that they, they just could come thick and fast. I don't know. I, I mean, Steve, you play live, <laughs> you DJ. Yes. I mean, surely mm -hmm. at one point at the set, I can imagine, you know, the crowd are going crazy, the, you're building it up to the point, and then suddenly you step out from behind the decks with some form of kitar or maybe this, and you just do your thing, and they they, they treat you like a, like a god forever after. Does that uh, scenario well, sound Well, yeah. I, uh, no, I'm not sure about the god thing. I did on one occasion wear uh, an SH-101 around my neck okay. a gig and what i found i mean my playing isn't accurate in the first place but playing like that oh i don't know i found it, it, it I, I felt that i sounded and looked ridiculous and look and this is the thing i i don't want to be um i it seems to me that this instrument is in a, a relatively not early stage of development but i think i feel like there's there's changes to come with this i like the sound of it although i know that that's that's not really um what's on discussion here but for me and, and a, a little uh, by way of contrast with rich i just find that for me the problem with kitars is they just have associations with I don't know, just really uncool eighty sick, yeah, mm. a synth rock, and so you, you, really, whenever I see a, a guitar, I know this is my own prejudice, but I'm just, you know, I'm back to being a teenager and thinking, what's going on? This isn't this isn't what a keyboard should look like, you know. Um, I went to uh, a gig last week. I saw Ladyhawk play. Uh, she's doing a tour of one of her classic albums and it was a great show. Um, one of the things that I noticed was there was two guitars on stage and they were both Jackson guitars. And if you're not familiar with Jackson guitars, they have a kind of pointy headstock. Um, and if you're familiar with guitars at all, you would associate these guitars with heavy metal, particularly 80s heavy metal. And it just occurred to me that I'm not watching a metal band, but this kind of synth rock act is giving me like this big cue that this is where they come from. They come from the heavy metal world. And I feel like with, for me at least, with guitars, I just can't get beyond that connection of strapping a synthesizer on um, and just feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm wigging out and it's 1984 or, or worse, mm. 1984. You know, do you know what I mean? So I, I think this isn't going to be an instrument uh, for me, I'm afraid. That sounded like that sounded like, uh, and I won't be investing. That sounds like a dragon's death on a closing. <laughs> Do you know what? As I was watching the video earlier, I did feel a little bit like that. And, <laughs> and the thing is, though, I, I I do appreciate that there will be a whole load of players that this will really appeal to. The the kind of strange, mm. unfinished aesthetic of it, where it, it does look a little bit like you've got a laptop round your neck, will appeal to people. Maybe I'm just a little bit old in the tooth, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll stick to these. But before I come to you, Paulie, the thing is, for me, the, the thing that Kitar has, the Kitar has two implications. Either you're going to be playing some kind of guitar-type, solo-type sound, like Jan oh. Hammer or, you know, whatever, and you're going to be emulating a guitar solo, which I think is the more cheesy side of things. Or 
playing a really funky bass line, which I think is definitely more acceptable, um, which is more your sort of um, Rick James start, uh, you know, ah, who's that? Is that someone playing James a funky bass line? Is that her? James Brown playing James Brown playing what? the Moog Liberation. Yeah, if you put wow. into Google James Brown Moog guitar, just just bring it up. Anyway, that's all you well, need to know about guitars. Bloke, he's probably the only bloke fit and, and, and sort of built enough to be able to <laughs> hold one up for any period of time. Hold a Moog time. Liberation, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm quite pro guitar. Um, it's it's like a massive debate, isn't it? It's like I'm getting like you know Brexit flashbacks. What side are you on? Anyway, so um, the uh, the thing with ketones is you have to kind of have the gear that goes with them. So you have to you know have the leather trousers and the uh, you know and the weird haircut cape. And I've got both of those, so I'm you know I'm quite happy You're rocking a ketone on stage. There we go. So the um, the the interesting thing, though, is when you have instruments which I wouldn't necessarily call them guitars. I'd call them more guitar controllers, uh, yeah. which are laid out like frets. Because I am uh, a guitarist, um, and I, I recently did a video for Sonic Lab on the Bosch GM800 guitar. Synth. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that obviously worked just turning a regular strat into a synth. Um, I like this because I like the shape-based um, nature of guitar. So although, you know, my brain is like this autistic harmony codex, <laughs> sometimes I want to break out of that and ha have a bit of a happy accident idea. And guitar's perfect for that. You know, you just take a shape, you move it around, and it gives you something that you wouldn't have thought of by yourself. And so and I you've like got instruments more of a rhythmical aspect like to that. that. You can you can apply rhythm you've got a more rhythmical... easily to the guitar, can't? Yeah, yeah. yeah mean, that's to be fair, this one isn't really a guitar, is it? It's more like a it's like more like a instrument, yeah. I suppose. Would be maybe a, this a, a one though. The thing with this one though is, uh, I would have maybe liked to see some kind of bend option. Because uh, I don't know if you've ever played with the guitars in GarageBand on the iPad, but they bring no. up a fretboard and then you can, they bring up just a standard guitar or bass fretboard. Um, and then you can, you know, play the strings, bend the strings. Um, and it's quite, you know, and then you can hold your iPad almost in that position, like a guitar neck. And it kind of feels quite cool, especially for bass lines, you know. You could probably get away with playing an iPad as a bassist on a gig, because unless you need really high up the neck. So this one, I don't know what the kind of string bending capabilities are, if there are any, whether you'd need an extra pedal. But yeah, so for me, it doesn't really put it above anything that's come before, you know. Mm. Um if it's on off, it's no better than like a Casio DG10 from the 80s. You know, that cool, weird looking silver yeah, Casio no, that's guitar. Yeah, point. I, I don't know. I mean, it feels like so you know, maybe go. the surface uh, the surface and the engine could be separated a little bit. I mean, because it's just yes. a thousand bucks is a thousand bucks, you know. And so the playing surface sure. might suit really people, but maybe the synth engine may not. I, and there's not an awful lot of demonstrations of the sound. I mean, no, the Kodamo uh, mask sounded amazing, I thought. It was just a yeah. fairly unpleasant or aesthetically difficult to, to love 
um, user interface. Uh, they'd gone for real retro, but uh, but you know, hey ho, I, I think it's well well worth checking out. I mean, it's, it, the more the merrier. And yeah. again, another I'd French have to play it. take on another French take on sort of alternative uh, inputs, which up to now usually are very expressive. You know, and this one, like you said, Richard, yes. is not so much. It's not so much. Okay, um, let's go. Uh, oh, I think we should go. Let's let's go here because uh, this is sort of the other side, and this this is this is a bit of a classic. So why not? In 1978, Roland introduced a little box that had a Cherry massive Audio CR78. Compu rhythm. I wonder if we get busted for this uh, sort of Phil Collins alike. Microprocessor controlled analog drum machine. Hit makers such as Blondie, Phil Collins. So Cherry Audio in there, I mean, they're very uh, prolific, and so this is the, they made a really big deal about this launch, and I was sort of thinking, is it, is Cherry it Audio big has a deal, as big a deal as it was, but I guess. Recreating and extending its distinct... I think the thing about this is it's modelled, it's not sampled, uh, which Cherry Audio do. Uh, and the thing about that is, obviously, that means you can apply a lot of uh, real-time parameter changes and a lot of kind of stuff in between the kind of virtual circuitry. So there's effects, uh, there are... Um, uh, um, sort of automations, uh, different kits you can load, as well as the presets. I mean, it's quite a, I mean, it's way more flexible. I mean, I suppose the thing about it is the CR78 was a really big deal in the time before we had Lindrums and we had, the, I guess, the 808. It didn't come until a bit later on. This is interesting. I, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I mean, drum machines have such a big sort of cultural importance, don't they, in certainly in <clears> pop <throat> music, because they enabled so many tracks that were and still are sort of milestones. And I suppose that's why they have this sort of bigger resonance, right? Yes, I, I, I completely agree, Nick. I, um, the, the CR78, which, which sadly I've never owned, but it's always, since I've been into music, had a special place in my heart. And I think it's because it was the first uh, drum machine that I, I noticed in records that weren't, sort of entirely electronic, if you know what I mean. So I was buying, as a very young kid, I was buying albums by people like uh, Japan, for example, Gentlemen Take Polaroids. And you would have this superb live drumming playing, but then rolling around quite low in the mix, there would be this little drum machine sort of tinkling along. And I came to discover later that that was the uh, CR78. And it had, I think it had an effect on the way the drummers were playing. Um, another example of this would be Warren Can from Ultravox. He was a, a very keen CR78 uh, user. And you can hear how in his uh, records, I think, such as Vienna, there was sometimes a combination of, of his prolific uh, programming of the CR78 and also playing with it as well. It had a it definitely had a, as you put it, a big cultural impact, I think, on the emerging electronic music of the late 1970s and 1980s. Mm. Also, one other thing that uh, I really like about the CR78 is it sounds so small. It's got very sort of small sounds, especially compared to like a, an 808 or a, a 909, which, mm. which I think make a big play. It's not on greedy, is it? Yeah, it's, it, with the, yeah, the 78, it's quite demure, I suppose. And yet it occupies uh, a, a, a defined and really useful sonic space. The kick has got enough weight and that snare, it's like a sort of crack. 
And it really uh, leapt out for me as a kid in the uh, records of the early 80s. So I'm, I'm excited uh, about this. I'm certainly going to um, get this model because I've had a succession of samples of 70, uh, CR78s that I've used on my own records for many, many years, but never been entirely satisfied. Um, I know that the CR78 model that's on the Roland TR8S and 6S is really good. That's really good. Um, I think, though, for making records, I much prefer the thing, things to be entirely in the software space. So I'm certainly going to give this a go. I'm quite excited, as you can tell. Excellent. Uh, it's, I should quickly point out it's available uh, intro price of $49. I think it only goes up to $69. I know, Richard, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Analog um, drum synthesis, I suppose this is what it is. It's quite a unique it's a unique area, isn't it? I mean, do you? I mean, you've done some. Am I right in thinking? Didn't you have a, a range uh, where you did some uh -huh. actual drum voices as well? Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it quite hard? Is it hard to get right? <laughs> well, I think there's uh, there's two sides to it. There's the expectations that uh, the musicians have and what it should sound like, and then there's the analog circuits behind that. Um, it, there's a push pull there because artists want some they want their foot sort of grounded in the sounds that they know so they want something that's going to sound like an 808 or a 909 or a cr78 but they also want the flexibility to push it in new directions and get new sounds so you're uh, as a developer as a designer you're always trying to be able to ground your sounds in something that's recognizable but allow then the artists to explore on their own and get beyond that and i think this plugin does a really nice job of that because um, it does say that it recreates the sounds well, but then it it gives you parameters beyond uh, what the original CR78 offered. So anytime you can add some synthesis to it, I'm all for it. I think for $49, this, uh, this thing, it sounds really good. Excellent. Yeah, no, it's got a, a, a real, from some of the demos, there's some, it's got, there's a thing about the sound of it, which is, it, I don't know what, it's like a wooden, there's a woodenness to it, which is mm. very pleasing, a rounded, but together with a, a slightly sort of plinky plonkiness as well, if that's that. Uh, I, I, you could tell I'm not, I'm not a wine taster, but uh, uh, I know, Paulie, what do you think? It, it, there's, there is a, there is a multi-output VST version out, so you can take the individual voices and, and really go to town on it cool. as well, which probably, yeah, it could be pretty cool yeah this is one of those instruments that's kind of just on the cusp of my nostalgia if you understand me um mm. as a as an 82 baby by the time i got here all of the the stuff was moving towards more uh digital you know instruments lindrum people could sample their instruments into fair lights and stuff like that for drums and things like that um so the CR78 occupies a sort of very, very early childhood feeling of kind of warmth in my mind, you know, that kind of plinky plonky, uh, woody clave hit kind of sound. Um, and I remember it kind of coming back in the, in the sort of mid to late 90s, you know, everything 70s came back. Mm. uh with lots of bands you know well you were you were um 
working with Goldfrap at the time, weren't you? So you were using lots of sort of older tech and things like that, older sounds and synthesizers. Yeah, I think there may may have been an occasional CR78 for for kind of, I call it itchy percussion, particularly electronic stuff. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which may be. Yeah, so, but... It's it's not something that I use too often. Um, I've got a lot more nostalgia if we're talking about kind of primitive drum synth wise for the drums on the old Casio PT one uh, and the VL tone. <laughs> That's kind right. of like my earliest drum machine memory, basically. You know. Yeah, da da da. The, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the classic. Da, was that da, trio, da. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in terms of kind of aesthetics and preferences, I really love an early digital drum machine. That's what I yeah. absolutely, you know, are into, like my RX11 and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I don't think I'm really the target market for this specific plugin. But, you know, I think I have used kind of CR78 or maybe even the Korg Mini Pops samples in the past just for, you know, little bits of, as you say, itchy percussion and, you know, just little earworm sounds that pan around. So Mm. it's it's definitely got its place. And if you have nostalgia for the machine, then, you know, it's going to be right up your alley. Yeah. Sorry, Steve, you look like you weren't coming. It's interesting. Some of those percussion sounds are so specific. They occupy exactly the right amount of space. The little finger snaps and the kind of, they're almost like yeah. mouth noises, aren't they? They're so, they're so short. Um, one thing I was going to mention about the original CR78, which is that when you hear it in records such as, I don't know, Blondie's Heart of Glass, and of course there's um, the Peter Gabriel classic Bilko, not Bilko, sorry, Bilko, what am I talking about? Uh, (laughs) Different man, very different man. Um, And and a whole load of uh, uh, (laughs) tunes, there's Gary Newman uh, album Telecon, it's on there as well. The timing of the original drum machine, it's got a very distinctive feel to it. there's even a, a Roxy Music tune, I think, same old scene that has the CR78. It's got a distinctive feel to it that I'd not really seen or heard re- recreated outside of the original machine or samples of the original loops. And if, if anybody's out there, they can do a quick sort of AB comparison. If you listen mm. to um, the John Fox album Metamatic, which is a bona fide classic, oh. there's CR78 all over yeah. that. Now, if you compare yeah. the feel of that compared to what I'm sure are samples of a much later, uh, of a CR78 on a much later John Fox song called Quiet City, and you'll f- you really notice that the feel is different. It's not, it's not bad, it's just not an original CR78 that you're hearing. And I think, for me at least, that's part of the appeal and also part of the appeal of these uh, records that had a CR78 on. It's the feel of the machine. I don't know whether they've they've recreated this in the software, but I'm very keen to find out. Interesting. Richard, I I, I don't know whether that's likely, whether, you know, the clocking and the groove is likely to be sort of a bit more wonky or or, or less accurate. But I have this theory as well, because if you press a record and you didn't get the the hole right in the middle, then the whole groove is going to be doing that sort of thing as well. So maybe it's a combination of the two things. It could be a certain amount of inaccuracy just because we listen to vinyl. 
It could be, but there's there's definitely something too. Um, those old processors, they could only do one thing at a time. So um, the timing isn't going to be perfect. And that uh, sort of uh, slower, faster timing that you get on those old drum machines, it, it does have a vibe to it because it's not necessarily enough that you're going to you're going to feel like it's wrong, but it's, it's, it's a vibe thing and, and something that you'll feel. Um, and you get a sense that it's there. It adds something to mm. what would be normally a very mechanical drum machine. Like the modern drum machines, if you put a clock in and you do a four on the floor, it's going to be on. Um, and then we have mm. all, a whole bunch of different ways that we add on top of that to make it off where the old drum machines, just by the fact of the processors didn't have the power to be on. Um, they were always mm. a little bit off. And I think there's some magic there. I wonder if it's an elliptical yeah. thing because there's the, because the CR 78, the bossa nova is one of the classics, isn't it? That, that it does those kind of Latin ones, which uh, have the, the, they've been described as just that groove in itself not necessarily from the drum machine the, the notion of a sort of egg rolling down a hill where you get this kind of loping quality and i wonder if the that sort of cpu kind of uh, um weight state or whatever introduces a particular shape to the groove i mean wonder i mean i guess they would have anal analyzed it so yeah it'd be interesting to see whether they've gone as wonky as the original or whether you can switch I, um... it in or out I guess that, you know, unlike a real drummer, you only have to beat the information in once as a little joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, Boom. I suppose that's true. Bang, bang, yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? A classic. I think there's, there seems to be almost more fondness for the CR78, and I wonder is because it's not a particularly aggressive drum machine, it was not sort of a banger, was it? And I suppose you have a different mm. visceral or emotional reaction to that. It's a bit like the sort of Bon Temp or the Casio VL tone. It's this, it's, it's not an aggressive groove, is it? It's that sort of, do you think that maybe that's part uh, of it? It is quite, it is quite friendly, um, although the snare's very crackly. I think also it's, it's not suffered from the overexposure that maybe you could say the 808 or the 909 has had and um and so maybe maybe there isn't quite the same i, d I don't want to overstate this but prejudice against the 78 and, and you know we've, we've been using words like woody um and everybody likes a bit of wood right so maybe yeah that's there part we of go Wow. That is well. It's the the, the class. It's the classic, isn't it? The classic. Um, it's a Monty Python sketch, isn't it? Where the, the certain words are tinny or woody, and it's, it's a great oh god, yeah. I can't remember Graham Chapman. What an extraordinary yeah, uh, comedy man! Yeah, and there was a yeah. whole list of words. And I, I, I'm not going to be that bloke who reenacts a Monty Python sketch no. on, a, on a podcast. Well, I wonder. I mean, it's in the same way that when one when one you you know what rediscovers or switches on an old valve pp3 powered battery you know the battery's that big radio and you switch it on and you're listening to mm. stuff and you just it, it's very nostalgic there's a certain something about this little wooden box resonating with a valve and a little speaker in it that has a thing and, and i suppose the cr78 has a certain amount of that anyway um let's get uh that this this one is a good one to have there is no there's nothing to play but 
Uh, I'm just going to put, what's the difference between, uh, th this was something, basically what I've been doing is I've been posting a little trailer or a kind of, here's what, here's what we discussed this week. I'm, I'm trying to get more with it with the social medias and these are the little short things and, and I've been asking for comments. And this is by uh, uh, Beekboo via Patreon, asked the question, is a digital oscillator on a physical device the same as a software oscillator in VST? E.g., do I need a digital synth? Or I have a powerful software synth. I know Rumplers are digital synthesis. I'm talking specifically about what would be called a digital oscillator. Comparisons, insights, who's been approached, uh, 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 impressed by raw sound. And this is a really fascinating, it is really fascinating because hardware synthesizers, I don't know, Hydrosynth, pick anyone. Hydrosynth, uh, pick uh, my, uh, um, um, microphone Freak, mini freak, you know, all they all have digital oscillators. I'm going to come to you first, Richard, because you have you develop analog oscillators. I'm mm -hmm. fairly sure there are, are there some. Have you done some digital oscillators in your range? I mean, I, I think you have, but you will have at least understand the stuff, right? Yeah, we've worked with developers to do digital oscillators in the past, and there really is no difference between uh, hardware and software as far as the code goes. So if you're writing code, now it's specific to the language, but uh, oscillator code is oscillator code, whether it's running in a VST or running um, native on an ARM chip in a synth. Where the big difference comes into is the DACs that they use on the synth and versus the DACs that you would have on your uh, audio interface. And the stability, uh, you know, you turn a hardware synth on and it's gonna, you can trust that it's gonna turn on and be in the state it was in before and it's gonna work. Uh, there's no, you know, you don't have to sit through 45 minutes of uh, Mac OS X updating before you can use it or an update breaks a plug-in. Uh, you can sort of rely on hardware a lot more than you can on software. And I think that's the, really the, the biggest difference between the two. It's just that reliability. And also, from more of a uh, philosophical standpoint, you have the interactability of hardware where you can touch the controls and you can have this physical conversation uh, with the instrument that you just can't have while you're using a mouse setting up a VST. And I think that can't be overstated enough. The conversation that you have with an instrument and that uh, the interaction between when you turn a knob and the reaction you get from the sound is, I think, critical in uh, an artist creating something that they feel they made that they're a part of well it's very well put and it's it's very interesting you point that i mean there but i mean i suppose to play the other side of the argument there are a whole generation of people who've grown up with nothing but either a phone or a touch screen or a mouse and never really kind of played with physical hardware so that relationship is different it, or maybe those synapses have been rewired to get the same vibe without having the physical thing but quite often as i, I mean i think uh, uh, you've you've talked about this before steve where you've been involved in education where you put a synthesizer in front of people who have only used software or a piece of hardware and they kind of go oh you know, there's there's an almost a moment of epiphany. I mean, do you, but but ultimately it's the same, right? I mean, the, the sound is the same. It's just the reaction to it maybe that's different. Yeah, I, I, I suppose so. Um, I think that uh, you know when Rich was saying that there is a difference between the way that you use the oscillator if you if it's in software or in hardware. I think I think this is really quite a big thing, and you end up doing different things if it's in hardware. Um, I've long 
talk to students about how you when you're being creative as in when you're running with inspiration it's really important that you try and avoid editing as you go you've got about 15 minutes of like raw you know excitement from an idea and you should just do as much as you can and and very often the the number one thing that breaks that moment of inspiration is to look at a screen find a text field or find a knob move a mouse look at some numbers you've kind of gone from creating to editing mode by interacting with a computer on the other hand um if you've got a digital roster in front of you i mean I, i've often mentioned on the show how much i like my dx100 the mathematics is the same the sound is similar but i'm now i'm pressing buttons that i'm familiar with i'm moving a slider i'm doing physical things um there's a certain amount of i suppose what people call muscle memory involved that doesn't break my moment of inspiration and i think it's a the, the consequence of this is you you make different music i also you know with the different whether you're moving working in hardware or in software and i find even though i'm primarily a computer guy that i relax so much more when i'm looking at keys and and twiddling dials and i've got that the feeling of something moving in my hand much more than if i'm looking on the screen so so there we go Mm, yeah no again uh, very well put i think that's really fascinating i know uh, this is really interesting isn't it paulie because i mean you are yeah. uh, self confessed kind of nut of this of perhaps some of the more impenetrable aspects of digital synthesis you know but ultimately they're still hardware but you're still yeah. you but you also use software synths as well and the i guess sure. the rea- relationship you have between them are are going to be different which is perhaps the thrust of Definitely. what seems to have said so far yeah, I agree with the usability aspects because my favorite thing to do when I'm making electronic music is feel like a mad scientist. That's exactly how I want to feel, you know, like uh, test tubes bubbling and, you know, just lightning outside and and I'm making weird synth music. <laughs> and exactly. And using, uh, using analog synths specifically, uh does that to me recording stuff on cassette tape and then like bouncing it you know over to the door does that to me sometimes i'm just totally in in soft synths because i've got to get something done so i agree with all those usability aspects the thing that separates vst and digital synths for me though is basically the type of interpolation they use transposition interpolation so um, the, the transposition schemes mean that the oscillators might sound really similar on, say, middle C. But as you go down the keyboard or up the keyboard, you're going to get very different results based on what you are doing. So most soft synths, you've got a sound card. It runs at a certain sample rate. And you're, as you play your oscillator or your sample on middle C... Uh, everything's hunky-dory it's just outputting the data when you start playing it further down it will interpolate it will add in more samples for you Um, it's called linear inter linear interpolation I think it will add in more samples for you so you get that classic you know hello 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 
anyway, so um, on old samplers, on old synths even, like this old weird digital synth, the Music 500, things don't work like that. Essentially, there's a clock, a sample rate clock, uh, for pretty much every note, um, every note of polyphony. And basically all it does to play a lower note is just run that clock slower. Uh, it doesn't do any nice massaging before the oh. DAC. Hello, Mr. DAC. I'm going yeah. to fill in these extra bits for you. It just outputs the raw data at a slower pace to the DAC. So that's why people love to sample into old archives and stuff and pitch it down or pitch something up and then sample it into the echo and pitch it back down to get this crust of stuff, you know? Um, and there are now VSTs like Tau Sampler, which emulate this variable clocking approach, but it's not really used by the majority of digital synths. Um, you can do a bit of fakery. I've got a friend who's a video game developer and musician called Mark Sotolero, and he has what he calls the great PPG swindle, which I think is the name of a book probably, um, in which he will key track a bit crusher. He will get a, a bit crusher uh, effect and key track it to the, the keyboard and whatever the synth he's using, one with a, a built-in effects in order to replicate some of that downsampling grunge you get lower down. Um, all of this is possible in software, but to go along with the usability again, I like feeling like a mad scientist and right. using old stuff. That's what makes me happy, pretending it's 1992 and, you know, <laughs> using old computers, using, using old... Um, uh, technology, synths, stuff like that, using old samplers. Sometimes I'll sample a modern VST, multi-sample a few, and then bung it into one of my old samplers, you know, to, to get a bit of that grunge and then record it back in. So the, the main difference in my mind is ease of, real ease of getting that crust, that right. no interpolation clock noise, crust low sample rate crust and the amiga has it in spades uh and the live and mega synthesis actually has it um i don't know what they've done because they've emulated a four bit dac on it but i was playing a sample down really low on the live and mega synthesis and it just was this wall of beautiful crust so there we go <laughs> it can be emulated but it's just easier to do on old stuff um, and if you want to read more, go to Gearspace and find a thread called Taxonomy of Early Digital Synthesizers by a genius called Acrail, who goes in far more detail than I can about how all of these old synths and samplers worked, which were multi-sampled, which were variable clock, etc., etc., etc. And I'm going to stop doing an autistic monologue on this subject now. <laughs> Steve, you uh, you you had you had your hand up. I, I, just before, but before you go, I, I wondered whether or not what you tend to notice as we age as musicians, we tend to 
choose the path with the least cognitive load when it comes to making music. So we might gravitate back towards playing just the piano or the guitar or an analog synth with sure. some knobs in because we just don't have maybe the, 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 it's like an interpolator between, you know, what our hands want, what our brains want, which maybe slows down as we get a little bit more advanced in years. And maybe so that's why we tend to prefer simplicity as a, as a species, perhaps later in life. I think that's, I think that's an extraordinary point there, actually, Nick, and, and um, that term cognitive load, um, I'm really going to have to think about that. I think, I think you're on to something there, um, and uh, I'll have to get back to you <laughs> on that. It's too much of a cognitive load to actually yes. analyse cognitive load. You had load. a point to make, though. Sorry, I did rather throw a spanner <laughs> well, at yeah, you there. I, Beg I, your I was, pardon. I was just going to, um, to, to, to build on what Paulie was saying, and also what Rich was saying. Um, from a user's perspective, I understand some of the maths, um, but that's I'm not really making music for maths. But I just want to point out that um, not all digital oscillators are the same. So uh, there's been, in my career, there's been certain digital oscillators that I um, discovered to be very, very poor, and a couple that I think are superb. Mm. So just quickly to mention the superb ones. Um, the, there's a pair of digital oscillators in the soft synth called Serum. It's been around for mm. a long time now, but they, they have a unique sound and that's extraordinarily solid. Um, some people like it, some people don't, I absolutely love them, but I would recommend if you wanted to hear, um, I think a very, very good digital oscillator. That would be the, the wavetable oscillators in Serum. Um, an example of a of a digital oscillator in uh, hardware, which I think is rather poor, and I think I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of bad press for saying this, is in the Roland JP8000 from the mid-90s. Now, this instrument gave us um, the concept of the super saw, which also gave yeah. us the concept of modern trance, I suppose. So it, it's not like um, it's just done bad things. But if you listen to that oscillator on that synthesizer, in its raw state, it's really quite noisy and, and ultimately doesn't have a great deal of weight, which is, I, to me, is fascinating, yeah. particularly as a DJ, because if you play those trance tunes from uh, that were made on a JP8000 uh, and on a big speaker, you notice they can be very loud, but there's a there's a, a huge amount of weight that's missing from those mm. sounds. Mm. I suppose that became part of the overall style. Um, so yeah, so there you go, both ends of the spectrum. Really, really good serum, rather poor JP8000. And I say that as someone who who's owned three of them and two JP880s. There was just no stopping <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, no oh, interesting um, point. It's interesting, mm. but a lot of the 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 development from the JP8000 ended up in the Roland V-Synth. A lot of the VA oscillators are, are very similar. Um, and yes, I'd say that they don't have that much weight. I'm always uh, putting a compressor and EQ insert inside the synth, thankfully, because you can like have insert effects on that to get the sort of weight, you know, that I want. Um, so it's interesting, I'd agree that that sort of era of Roland isn't particularly, you know, um, weighty. It's, it's kind of like, you know, clean and, uh, and it's very, very able to be pushed in lots of directions, but it's not weighty. It's not much of a tone machine. 
Mm, interesting. I, I'm just looking around to try and think of sort of examples of good digital oscillators. That, uh, I think most modern di- synths now uh, have got decent enough DACs, decent enough sample internal sample rates, uh, or decent enough, you know, signal paths that may not that may be analog parts of that digital signal path that that they can sound pretty good i don't know i i can't think of anything that's really i mean i i do like the sound of the uh um i've said it before the delta sep you know the the radical tech delta sep is a lovely sounding oscillator in Mm. terms of in terms of other digital oscillators i i'm just i'm struggling to kind of think i mean I i like the the models that are inside uh the artoria um Microfreak and uh, mini freaks. I think they're they're very inspiring and interesting. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. Richard, you mm. look like you might have had something to say there. So I'm I'm, I'm doing. I think this. as far as sort of classic VA hardware goes, the uh, the Korg MS two thousand I always thought had really nice sounding oscillators. Um, that synthesizer in general, uh, that was that was my first foray into uh, VA hardware. So I may I may have some sort of uh, bias towards I've it. I've heard it said. But I've heard it said before. Yeah. As well, and there's there's something to be said that that engine was used up until just recently. They just discontinued. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the uh, the Korg synth was uh, that they just discontinued. They made a new version of it, but they Can used that Korg. synth engine. Oh, yes, the microcord. Yes, right. So they used that synth engine for fifteen almost 20 years, which is crazy. But I, <laughs> yeah. I think the MS-2000 being the full open version of that, uh, I found those oscillators very playable and uh, they had a lot of heft to them. Terrible, that very... St- very mean-spirited knob caps on the MS-2000. Tiny little things. I mean, it just there was loads of room on it. And it was a tiny little knob. It just sort of felt really... I mean, I think an MS-2000 with, with its own... With larger knob caps would definitely uh, be a thing. I mean, I don't know whether that's they'd even bother. I mean, it's that is... So I remember um, going to see um, Adrian Utley from Portishead in his studio, and he had one, and they, they would use it... You know, I guess he was using it around the time of some of those early uh, Portishead records. So, you know, and that's saying something because he's Mr. Analog. So, yeah, there are some Mm. classics, definitely. But I think some of them are classic because of where they ended up rather than like with the JP8000, where they ended up rather than what they were. If you see what people Well, you get that with everything, though. Yeah, well, that's true. You get that with everything. That's the 808 wasn't a classic because of when it came out, and you know the 303 weren't isn't a classic because of what it was designed to do. Um, it develops that status because the artists co-opt it and it becomes a genre, or they find a way to use it that's very interesting. And that's probably the most important part of hardware is that again, I, I said talked about the interaction between the stuff, but that's how you get these things to become classics is the rapport between the artist and the instrument becomes so strong that it becomes a genre itself. Yeah, well, that's true. I think it's really... Uh, sorry, Steve, did, was that... I heard an... Oh, sorry, no, no, no. I was, I was just going to say that I, I completely agree with Richard. I think that, that that's fundamentally important. There's so many examples of this. And, and just to go back to the JP8000, you know... Um, in the end, the fact that it, it often sounds like a bunch of wasps in a jar doesn't really matter when you were on that dance floor in 1998 feeling unusually excited. It just it gave you something that nothing, no other instrument was going to give you. And then a whole world of, of, uh, of dance music genres emerged from that. In the end, it's the musicians and what they do with the machines. 
Well, often, often. I mean, that, that that's that's a fair point. I had a point I was going to make. I can't remember what it was now. I completely escaped my mind. But that's because uh, I'm having too much cognitive load and I can't uh, multitask. Uh, so I'm <laughs> illustrating my I illustrate my point perfectly. Uh, whatever it was that I can't remember what it was anyway. Uh, yeah, fascinating. They're, they're, I mean, this is the sort of thing that can you know we could talk about for ages and ages and ages. And it is it, it's great to have a designer's perspective as well as user perspective as well as some sort of background information so thank you all for your input it's been great um i think we're probably um drawing to a natural end i mean there's you know i've got it i'll save i'll save a, a couple of uh topics because who knows next week there may be nothing there may be zero i did want to point out that um uh jamie liddell and maths and uh um i'm just gonna see if i can find the link uh, uh and uh Matthias Pusch are putting on a live stream. Uh, let's see if I can put that there. Uh, if I post it here, that'll probably, I'll stick it in the chat. Uh, in uh, five or six days, uh, modular patching, which is well worth checking out. I know Matt wanted to come on today, but he's he got nobbled by the post uh, the post nam. Um, corona thing so he's uh he, he decided to, to bow out for now but um i'm trying to think if there's anything else i need to mention oh yeah of course i, I did i mentioned the emon definitely come along to the emon bitly slash uh sonic emon 4 uh for for next friday the first of march but thank you folks it's been a real uh, really good fun and uh, a, a great discussion so um paulie uh, thank you very much i hope you get um you does this mean you get 50 percent more sleep with 50 percent less child yes. or is it uh, exactly that's, that's a fantastic that's how it works that's yeah hence I, I why my so. eyes aren't bloodshot anymore excellent well <laughs> lovely to have you on thank you very much i guess you're probably um your your uh, your soundtrack must be coming to a close fairly soon as well the uh the history of of okay games game? yeah okay dreams okay, yeah games. the um yeah. the the sound uh the soundtracks are done so we're just mixing it now uh and it's you know it's probably going to take another couple of months i think and then we're going to release right. it so Excellent. i'll let you well. know um all about that when it's uh, done the other thing i wanted to mention is i think i'm going to do a live stream next week uh i think i'm going to do it on the roland jv and xv engine and see what kind of weird stuff i can get out of it uh, because there's lots of weird stuff in there you know outside of wedding gig presets <laughs> <laughs> that's a that you've got it yeah that, that wedding what yeah wedding gig presets in the thumbnail somewhere will guarantee you some uh, some clickbait <laughs> and uh, of course uh, steve hillier thanks you for joining us as well i'm guessing you're probably it must be dj season is coming back into play now so you're out off off jet setting around the place with your uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's normally, as, as I sort of said earlier, it's normally uh, kind of quiet at this time of year, but it's worked out rather nicely for me. So I think the next next job I've got is in a week's time. That's going to be in Paris. I really do need to check. Um, but if but if anyone out there is kind of interested in what I do, um, as I mentioned before, you can hear a whole load of old stuff on the Dubstar archive and um, there's plenty of new bits and pieces, including DJ mixes that you, you'll be able to find if you go to uh, this web address that's on the screen right now, which is stevehillier.net. And I'll see you yes. on the dance floor soon. 
Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you very much. And Richard, uh, thank you for, uh, for for braving the lion's den. Or, well, it's not really, but thanks for coming on, as I suppose as I'm trying to say in a fancy roundabout way. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. And, of course, Pittsburgh Modular for all your um, marvellous modular needs. Or, well, not just modular, <laughs> desktop, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we seem to be doing less and less modular as the uh, the years go on, but we certainly have a lot of hopefully interesting instruments that are going to find uh, a home for somebody to create something interesting with. Um, but yeah, yeah. I just, I'm glad to be here, and it's fun to talk about synthesizers. Absolutely. Here, here. And uh, welcome back anytime. So it's about this time that we uh, we, we, we go to the uh, Celebrity Squares shot and uh, say thank you very much to everybody. Thanks to all our, our live stream viewers. Thanks to Wagyu again for uh, moderating. He's done a very good job this week. I haven't seen any any poor stuff. We'll see you next time. Thanks it. That was Sonic Talk uh, 790. See you next time. Bye bye now.